Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Yes, so coinciding with the high-powered, high-performance Olympics in London as the sun sets over London 2012, we've also been looking into the pressure of performance and also the role that anxiety plays in it all with our brilliant open house human condition guru, clinical psychologist, Lynn Worsley. Lynn, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Great to see you. And um, nice timing. Anxiety, it's such an issue, and we probably should deal at a later stage with this, separate to the Olympics. It's not just something in your head, you say. No, no. Now, look, anxiety is a, a physical thing, and it's the connection of how you're thinking to what you are believing is real and how, you're, how it plays out in your body. Okay. Um, and there's been a lot of research to show that anxiety is genetic and there's a personality trait that is more prone to anxiety. But again, that's um, the environment that plays a very large part in it. The, um, the, the research into anxiety has been so enormously helpful um, over the last 20 or so years. And we know that every 10 people, five people have anxiety. Wow, half the population. Yeah. yeah. So it may look like there's more women than have that have anxiety because generally women are more help-seeking, but it's actually not true, and it's the same for men, and their anxiety is often masked by alcohol use and perhaps eventual alcoholism. The silent suffering. Yes, yeah. and... Um, and anxiety is debilitating and very energy-sapping. What's the difference between anxiety and just kind of being a bit worried about things? Is there much of a difference? Yes. Now, a person with anxiety has a raised heart rate that causes stress on the whole body, and it seems to be up a lot longer and sustained there for a lot um, for most of their time. Okay. Um, they have body tension. It exhausts the cortisone and endorphins over the period of time, and sometimes it results in physical fatigue and emotional depression. Um, they have physical complaints which appear real, um, but when you investigate them, there's no real physical evidence like blood changes and so on. Yeah. Um, they've got a decreased pain tolerance and they often find themselves with a lot of injuries. Um, and anxiety is often associated with hypochondriasis. So that's like when someone's a hypochondriac, they have a lot of illnesses because the fear of getting sick makes them imagine and feel sick all the time. But it doesn't mean that they're hypochondriac, like they're no, making it up. No, Yes. How does someone with anxiety act differently to others, for instance? You know, what are we going to notice? Now, some of the behaviours that an anxious person have are the following, like they actively avoid things that make them a bit anxious. They're constantly thinking about the difficulties with something rather than the positive things that come, up, come, come occurring with uh, new things. The, uh, they have a, a pervasive negative or pessimistic style of thinking and they often are very snappy and cautious in social situations. Okay. Um, interestingly, a lot of people with anxiety sabotage um, situations that might make them feel anxious. So, for example, yeah. that um, they might cause something to go wrong so they don't have to go somewhere. Okay. Um, or they'll find an excuse to do something else or go somewhere that, and they're deliberately late um, or avoid getting somewhere with it they might be anxious about. Yes. Um, and so that sort of sabotages it, so it makes it worse. They, they often over-talk and ruminate about a problem. It's a bit like a broken record and they go over and over and over it again. Um, they seek reassurance from other people constantly. Um, and they think of terrible scenarios and they replay the terrible scenarios in their head very visually. Escalating them all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So last week you talked about performance anxiety. 
um, and again, somewhat related to the Olympics, is that just to do with those elite performance situations? I suspect not. No, no. Now, look, performance anxiety is really a form of social anxiety where you feel the fear of failing in front of other people. Now, social anxiety, it's very common. And most people have some sort of form of social angst, most people. Like they worry about what someone said recently and they go over those situations in their head. But for someone with a social anxiety, they often become quite speechless or feel nervous to the point of exhaustion or they literally are so focused on what's going to go wrong and what other people are thinking about them that they become so awkward and it just draws attention to themselves and that reinforces how awful things are in social situations. Yes, yes. Um, it's a horrible cycle. But most many people use alcohol as a form of relief for social anxiety and it's often missed because when we have some alcohol, um, it, you become less inhibited. Because it's readily available, I suppose. That's More right. readily available. That's yeah. right. However, the alcohol is a depressant and it actually makes the anxiety worse long term. So the next morning you might feel depressed as a result of having the alcohol. And it even, it works on the thinking to make it even more pessimistic and negative. And that makes people drink, have a cycle of drinking more and more so they can keep relieving the anxiety and they become quite dependent. So a lot of times you'd see that a lot of people who have, who are alcoholics would have started with, um, you know, social anxiety. Mm. I'd just like to add there that alcoholics are not a special breed of person. Um, and that actually everyone who drinks alcohol is exposed to a drug that's addictive, so they can become alcoholic. Wow. So we can go into that in another time. Every, everyone. And everyone anyone. has that potential, yes. Wow. Yeah, we should talk about that. Yeah. Um, performance anxiety or social anxiety can be seen in almost all areas of life. So going to an exam or meeting someone new at a party or following up with someone on a date night or meeting someone for the first time on an internet date. Um, It can also affect people sexually where they worry about how they'll perform and therefore the brain occupies all their energy. And they worry more about how they perform rather than actually enjoying the experience and pleasing each other. Um, You can also see anxiety is a natural reaction to life and it's taken to the extreme. Most people have negative and strange thoughts, I'd just like to say. Yeah, it's probably useful to say this (laughs) is part of normal life and we'll all know about it. Actually, apparently, um, we've got negative thoughts that are a bit weird every 11 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Should I get you to define what weird is? Maybe another day. But most of the time we don't stop and we think, oh, you know, we don't think about them. What we do is we just go, oh, what was I thinking? That was a stupid thought and we get rid of it. Next. But with anxiety, the anxious person takes notice of the thought and spends a bit of time entertaining the thought and so it becomes committed to memory. And then it has a place in the brain and it comes back for longer and the anxious person then starts to think they need to think about more of it so that it won't happen. So it's this sort of cycle that keeps going on and the extreme of this anxious reaction can become a bit like obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah. And which we, which is also on our list, actually. It yep. strikes me that with so many cycles, whether it's that or whether it's alcohol and kind of feeding off it itself, is it possible to stop this? <laughs> yes. Now, the good news is that anxiety can be cured okay. and you can get help and it's really good that you can control and, and cure anxiety. However, the bad news is it takes a lot of work. It means that you have yes. to change your pattern of thinking so that you have a new process that can take over. 
Um, And that's called cognitive behavior therapy. And there's a number of ways that this therapy can be done. But for those of us who use a positive or solution-focused approach to managing anxiety, it it involves measuring times when the anxiety doesn't exist and to see if you can increase those times. So, for example, when I'm working with someone who has anxiety, we measure the solution to the problem and what life is like without the anxiety and watch that increase. Okay. But other forms of CBT, which is cognitive behavior therapy, involve measuring the size of the anxiety and getting um, to see if it, they can shrink it. And, and it is measurable, yes, you reckon? Yes, yeah. and, the, and the idea is you challenge your thoughts and your behaviors. But one of the key aspects of working with anxiety is to set up challenges and exposing yourself to the anxiety. The most important thing is to manage this gradually, though, and to get someone to help you with it. It also means that you start to acknowledge that things don't go wrong when you actually do something new. Okay. So can you give us an example of how you might kind of do that? Yeah. Look, one person I know has a social anxiety to the point that she would not leave a house. Um, And she literally was so worried about seeing, being seen by others and for something bad to happen that she didn't go out at all. And she'd find ways for her partner to get things to to go to the shops or bring in the washing or go out to the letterbox. And and she managed to stay indoors for a long time. Um, When she saw me for the first time, she'd been outside of the, had not been outside of the house for three months. And and therapy was amazing. Like this was amazing. I was just overwhelmed with her courage just to try and get better. She used the therapy trips as her way of challenging the anxiety and to expose herself to going outside. Yeah, so she had to go outside yeah, to, to, see to me. get to the practice. Yeah. Yeah. But it took a long time. Um, and eventually, though, she was able to catch public transport and we'd plan the next challenge with her each week. It was sort of quite a, an adventure. But the good news is that that's a problem of the past. And she would say that she had the thoughts in her head quite frequently, but she'd learnt to notice the thoughts and not react to them. And she'd say, oh, there's those stupid thoughts again. And she'd keep doing something different. Are you able to tell what kind of... Is it a stupid question to ask what caused that or what led to the severity of that kind of anxiety? No, you can't actually pinpoint it. With anxiety, it becomes such a huge um, spiral of events and a cycle of events that you can never actually pinpoint what it was. And what tends to happen is that each time you have like panic attacks or anxiety attacks, you gather more triggers. And so those triggers then trigger off the next anxiety attack. And that's where the cycle happens. Yeah, yeah. So what are some simple things you can do if if you know half the population... Mm. suffers this to some degree if we can start challenging our anxiety and especially when it's impacting on our performance. Yeah, yeah. Now, anxious people seem to be tuned into bad news. They just have like this little radio valve that says, you know, let's get get the, uh, the bad news. So what you can do is you boost your immunity to bad news by giving your attention to all the good things around you. So it's like we talked a while back on gratitude journals and noticing some good things so one of the key things is stop reading or watching traditional news and replace it with the good news yep so you listen to open house (laughs) yes but don't watch me on the telly in the morning (laughs) (laughs) that's right okay um think of something you did well say at a club or at a uh, you know in the summer uh, or in an activity and tell yourself three reasons that that could happen for you again um, I always like the three good things thing at night time to go be, to get go to sleep and just count up three good things that have happened. 
I mean, that could change someone's life, just it that could. one bit of advice. Yeah. Um, and I, I also love this one, that the, you write a positive future story and um, pretend you're 30 years old. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Um, <laughs> pretend you're 30 year, years old and describe why the past 10 years have been so wonderful um, and how everything you've wanted has happened. Or, you know, pretend you're at an age where you'd like to look back and say, yes, it's been great. So it does require quite a mind shift, doesn't it? Yes, yes. yes. But possible. Yes. Now, there's another way of looking at anxiety, and that is that it causes some energy overload in your brain and makes your brain go faster and faster. And if you think about energy as like a blowfly in a beer bottle, um, uh, it hits the sides of the bottle back and forward and gets exhausted. Um, and what you need to do with a blowfly in a beer bottle is just to take the lid off and I'll let it that out. Next time. Yes. <laughs> um, it's the same with anxiety because when you let out the blowfly, it slows down and sits down and does some quiet things. But with anxiety, that does the same. If you do something that takes the energy out of your head and into other parts of your body, you'll find that you can slow down your thinking and manage to calm down. Okay. And you do this with exercise. Because it's a high level of energy, the more energy that you expel doing something else, the better your brain's going to function. So exercising and becoming physically stronger makes you feel stronger. And that's because you're better able to meet the physical challenges and you're more flexible um, and you're less likely to become injured when you're fit. But it's also a psychological accomplishment to begin and maintain an exercise regime. So that's very good for the anxious person to actually have that exercise routine. I know what that's like. As I was walking this afternoon after my swim, I thought, you know, my head and my thoughts feel better yes. for that. Yes. Know? And I've never heard it explained quite so well, actually. But exercise too, in the best of circumstances, brings about a flow, um, the state where you're so fully engaged that you actually lose track of time. Yeah. Um, and if not a flow, it tends to at least distract you from the troubles and your worries. And that calming effect lasts for hours. So what you're talking about in your walk is, yes, that will last for quite some hours for you. Um, and after the exercise session's finished, the impact is similar to the benefits of meditation. So when you exercise with other people, the activity provides a social social connection. So if you have social phobia, it's actually extremely good to go and join a social sport. Okay. Um, exercise has been shown to raise levels of your serotonin, which is um, a bit like a natural Prozac. So How interesting. Well, as I said, I've long thought, and I've heard about the endorphins, yes. but I've never heard it put so succinctly and so compellingly. What do you... Th okay, say if I'm a person beside, alongside someone in the family, friend, loved one who has anxiety, how can I help? Is there much I can do? Yes, there is. You can try and get them to seek help. You can get them onto reachout.com or Beyond Blue or any of those sort of sites. But um, what you can do is make sure you don't make that anxiety too comfortable. Because okay. if anxiety is comfortable... It'll hang around. And it's a bit like a system. If you hold the system in place, then you actually make room for the anxiety to exist. Yes. So I always think that it's important to not make it too comfortable. So if they're holding you up or they're running late or they're carrying on, don't make room for that. Okay. What if they don't want to change if or they, they don't want to get help? If they don't want to change, that is everyone's right. It is everyone's right to stay with their anxiety. The difficulty is when it starts affect every, affecting everybody else. Yes, yes. 
And if they don't want to get help, oftentimes what you can do is make it so that it's not comfortable for them in their anxiety. And that's really sounds sad and hard, but sometimes it makes it so that they do want to get help. Sage advice. Listen, let's um, plug next week because next week's quite a special week. Congratulations, you've got a new book out. Yes. And I thought we must talk about this. The title is The Secret of Strong Adults. So yes. what's that about? Now, this is another Resilience Donut book. Yeah. And the Resilience Donut that I put out a number of years back on The Secret of Strong Kids, people have been saying, what is this? This is so good. We can use this for adults. And so I have um, researched again and come up with The Secret of Strong Adults. And it's great. I'm really excited about it. I've got, um, I think the, the books get delivered tomorrow morning. Great stuff. That's a good day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, congratulations. And I will really look forward uh, to a series of conversations on the s- secret of strong adults. Yes. Lynn Worsley, thank you so much. Thanks, as always. Lee. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real 